0: Hat man nicht auch bald ein Leben kann man nicht ganz glücklich sein. Traurig läßt sich fort das Leben, mancher Kummer stellt sich ein, mancher Kummer stellt sich. Ein.
1: You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience member and artist designed to demystify the classical music and opera experience. If you enjoy the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, and really, who wouldn't, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support.
0: Thoroughly
1: Good. Classical music podcast number 95, number 95. If only I could stick to an exercise regime and achieve a similar number of alcohol-free days, then I'd feel as though I had achieved something. This podcast with cellist Adrian Bradbury was offered to me ages ago, recorded a month ago and edited and published today on the 26th of June. Those dates are important. The recording was at the height of lockdown, Another world, one where a new way of doing things was the thing that all of us collectively were adjusting to. There was a sense of solidarity, unity. One month later, as restrictions are lifted in the UK, the music world has a bittersweet pill to swallow. Whilst crowds congregate on beaches, concert halls, and theatres and opera houses, and anything that requires an audience of more than six people. Remain closed. Lockdown is for the majority regarded as over. I have friends who are seeing their relatives this weekend, seven days before restrictions are officially lifted. We now enter a period of adjustment where all of us are now grappling with what we're actually allowed to do and what we think that we can get away with doing. Me included. I'm planning on seeing my parents for the first time in six months on Monday. But whilst pubs prepare to be open and the population seeks out the nearest beach, concert halls remain closed. In this strange time, which feels like it's gone on forever, but has only been three months, I feel like I've gone on a rollercoaster ride. Live performance feels like a world away. An impossible dream. A finger-wagging teacher reminds me that I shouldn't bargain with myself about when things might return to a sort of normal. That I just need to get accustomed with being patient. All I want to do is step back into an auditorium with other people. Until then, until I can step back into a concert hall auditorium, none of this is over. Listening back to my conversation with Adrian Bradbury reminds me of all of this. Bradbury, Cellist, Royal Philharmonic Society Chamber Award winner, National Youth Orchestra Tutor, a musician, scientist, is that a thing? With research published by the Royal Society, and most importantly, an Alfredo Piatti fanboy. Do you not know about Piatti? Well, don't worry, because you will find out about him in the next 38 minutes. We talk about the research and enthusiasm, passion, devotion, and whatever other adjectives that are clearly discernible from the two volumes he has released that are now available for download, physical purchase and streaming. Only don't stream, buy the thing, that way the musician gets the money. And whilst of course the albums are important, they are, they really are, and his devoted research must be applauded warmly, I urge you to stick around until the end of this episode. It is a moment I hold dear. I imagine that you're you're doing a lot of interviews in this sort of slightly remote weird disconnected way
2: uh not interviews but i've uh am oh, just taking these out because it's that's easier for me um i'm doing i've done uh, quite a lot of um teaching like the, the nyo has gone uh virtual so we've been doing uh, a couple of weeks i've had of, of looking at 16 kids on a screen Lord. <laughs> yeah well it's, it's the reality and it's fine it's better than it's they've done really well sticking with the schedule and just trying to do the best with what we've got and um yeah the, the the it's it's not nyo as you'd know it it's turned into we're doing one-to-ones much more which they don't normally get the idea being not to compromise what what they normally get but try to try and find new ways of doing it and i've been doing loads of um seminars or webinars so it's lots of preparation and lots of Zoom time. But, yeah, we, we just go on, don't we? So is um, what about you? Have you done lots of...
1: Yeah, I, I used to... Um, I would normally just meet up with people face-to-face and have uh, a very conversational uh, interview, really, based on sort yeah. of essentially, without wishing to let um you know light in on sort of magic um it was deliberately meant to be based on rapport so it from from my perspective it always depended on meeting someone face to face yeah. Uh, and and they were the podcasts were never really meant to be anything more than a than a marketing platform really for me. And then as soon as all of this started, I was thinking, well, actually, you could just why wouldn't you just do it over the phone, frankly? Uh, and then I discovered this thing called Clean Feed, uh, which I sort of wrestled with for a while. And and actually, the same principle applied in a in a remote interview. As it did face to face, which was you—you you were just sort of establishing a connection in a slightly different way. Uh, so it became quite an interesting production process. Without wishing to be too dull or nerdy about it, um, it's
2: not at all. This is this is where we're at. I mean, the 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 only upside, it seems to me, is what we can discover about remoteness and take forward, and, and the lack of interaction, the the fact that like Nyo can't play together because of the lags and latencies, that will be a continuing frustration but there are there, there are positives and it sounds like you've found some and um or you you it means presumably you'll be able to do podcasts
1: from artists across the world yeah um, yeah and I, I think the thing that has really surprised me is that you know i do remember three months ago i did not want to speak to anybody on the phone unless it was an interview um hmm. you know I, I just didn't really like conversing with people on the phone and now hmm. i have to and I really like it, and it's almost like going back twenty years before we had email. Um, yes, uh, yes, it's I've, more personal uh, than that. I, I find actually, I've been reminded this during this period of time that um, it it helps me, it helps it helps me move things along. Actually, <laughs> speaking yeah. on the phone in a way that that yeah. email actually stops things. It, yeah, email creates barriers.
2: So I should have this out. No, it's really. fine.
1: Really, it's absolutely oh, yeah. fine. There's no...
2: I can now hear you better. Um. And my son, who's who sorted out a microphone for me last night, he's obviously still in bed because it's... Only ten past eleven, so I can't get him to help with the text.
1: But that is oh, that's much better. Yeah, thank you. You've revealed so much. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be a surprise. Wow, today. wow, he's really very busy then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't go The word, the, there's one clue. Eighteen, that's the word. That's the clue. Right. Yeah. Enough, enough. What is it like being eighteen and being locked down? Is it frustrating? Do you? I mean, you I know, think you... it
2: depends on the yeah, eighteen-year-old he, and on what's declared. I, I, it must be, although they fortnight is, is his friend, and um, and actually that's you know fortnight sounds like a video game that you just play with, um, and it's very uh, solo. But of course it's it's their social group, and that, that's where he meets his friends and he he chats with them. So so his lockdown is virtual, and um, and it's keeping him amused. So, so I, I can't complain. You know, it's, it seems so unfair to that
1: population. Yeah, so I have I, I have a friend of mine who I uh, went to university with, who I was chatting with at the weekend, um, who uh, was talking about how her teenage children, who one was sitting in a sitting A levels this year, the other sitting GCSEs, both both kids felt like. A, when it started they were going you know we're going to be that generation who missed out on our exams or who were given our exams by default i mean and it was a um yes exactly and it was a perspective that i hadn't really considered that uh you know the the impact that this would have on that particular generation i mean it's that impacted on everybody but um i hadn't really considered that at all but it sounds like
2: yeah the public exams like that is, and, and it's going to carry on being an impact because when they first, when they, if they go on to university and they, then those exams are going to be, not having jumped that hurdle and been, had that rite of passage, we'll, we'll find out in years, you know, to come. But I, th- I think it will have an effect. It's very sad although that is not the emotion that jumps to his mind at the moment <laughs> at the past
1: eleven. <laughs> we'll yeah, you're yeah. <laughs> no I'm not no, sad no. I'm just sleeping that's yeah. all um, yeah, fine uh yeah so that so that that's the that's the purpose of the the conversation or that's the start of the conversation which we have essentially started um so we'll, we'll probably just run for 20 minutes and we'll just talk about the thing um okay. if that's okay is that all right with you yeah. So yeah. Whatever so, you, you oh, and you can a lovely a dog adorable. in the background? No, no, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, so we, we have, have real, real life, ministry. real fantastic. life, fantastic. Um, uh, tell me about the dog. What sort of dog so, is it? The
2: dog is Rudy. He's three
1: quarters poodle.
2: He's um he's uh, wordy. Lots of he's like, big vocabulary because because collies and yeah quarter collie. So he's got a good brain. Bit anxious and and lovely. Um, he talks a lot when he hears people in the front street, but if he met them, he wouldn't know what to do. So (laughs) he's, he's 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 a great asset. At the moment, obviously,
1: <laughs> what a, what really a fight uh, our, neighbor, our neighbors have taken delivery of a new puppy about three weeks ago, oh, and yeah, everybody yeah. in the road is just like, Oh, we've only got a new puppy. Yeah. Can we go my to work Well, they're lucky to get because the, the demand is so high at the
2: moment that they're, they're lucky to land one. I think. Oh, really? I had no yeah. idea about that.
1: Gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, we are here to talk about uh, uh, an album um, that you've been that you've put together, uh, of. Uh, music by cellist Alfredo Piatti. Is that right? Yeah, have I got right. that basic bottom line fact correct? You have uh,
2: except he was in England so long he Alfred would have done. He, he signed Alfred. Yakin okay. called him Creddy. So call him what you yeah. <laughs> <Alfredo>. <laughs> call him what you <laughs> like. That's <laughs> what no,
1: you yeah. <laughs> Um before I ask you about then that then uh can you just tell me what you can see out of your nearest window, please, sir.
2: Yes, I, I can see my back garden, and it's not raining anymore. I can see a lot of pigeon poo because the neighbours put um, thermal. What, what, do you, what do you call it when you the solar panels on the, and the pigeons love going under that because it's nice and warm. I'm just—is this too much information? No, no it's All great. Right. I, I need to
1: build a. I need to build yeah. a, a picture.
2: So it's. I could I, if I knew what that pink plant was, I'd tell you. Right, so you're (laughs) not a gardener then. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's a cherry tree. It's it's a a suburban, it's a terraced house in south-east London.
1: Oh, I see. You're south-east London as well. Where in south-east London, please, Mr Bradbury?
2: Oh, um, New Cross.
1: Well, hello. I'm in uh, Lewisham. I'm in Catford. We could basically lean lean out the window and basically shout at each other. I could, yeah. Wow, Uh, okay. Don't do that, though, because that would be weird. (laughs) Um, Tell me about why you embarked on this particular disc, because I get the impression from, from the information that was shared with me that this is a private passion, which is now a public passion.
2: Yeah, that's a f- fair description. It was, it if I, if I had to trace it back, uh, twenty eleven, I was asked by the the Royal Academy of Music was celebrating hundred years in their present building, Marylebone Road, and the London Cello Society wanted to celebrate specifically the cello teaching there, and I they approached me to give a um, concert based on. Alfredo Piatti, who was the cello teacher there. When Sterndale Bennett became principal, 1860s, he appointed his great friend Piatti, as, I think as the only cello professor so in those days. And then he had a um one colleague come and help him. And he and Piatti was there for 25 years. So 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 and a really important teacher to, um saw Leo Stern, Hugo Becker, not this wasn't all of the academy, but they'd come privately to learn in London and then um, w. Whitehouse. Uh, he he. So that that was that was really um, important for for London Show Society to celebrate that, and I was very happy to do it. I, I went straight to Oliver Davis, who is a um, the pianist on on the CD, who I worked with a lot anyway, and who worked with my dad, who's a clarinetist, on a, um, on some recordings in the 80s and 90s on long-lost Italian repertoire. Well some of it was long-lost Italian repertoire. So as soon as I told, told Oliver about this this project, he said, oh yes, well let's let's see what Piatti was playing in when he came to London. That was in 1844. And so we dug out some notes, press notices and did some research. And it turned out that there was a one of the pieces he played which he wowed his audiences with was of fantasy On Beatrice di Tenda, Bellini's second last opera. But it was only in manuscript. So I already had, I was already, I already loved Piatti. All cellists love Piatti because he wrote this great um, book of Caprices, 12 Caprices, that is our main study source, along with the Popper, um, 40 studies by Popper, the Piatti. Everybody enjoys them. I mean, studies are, a kind of medicine, aren't they? You, mm. Often, but the, these are like a tonic. They, they are, they're so nice to play that you don't quite realize at the end of it, that you've been studying thirds and octaves and the castle. <laughs> so, so, so he's a, he's a, he was always in my head, a lovely composer. And when, so I had a, and I had, a, I had a book, I had his biography because I'd been examining one day at the Academy with a head of strings and he was clearing out his cupboard. He said, Oh, Adrian, you'd like this, wouldn't you? This, he was, um, Getting rid of some books, and there was a biography of Piatti. So, so yeah, I devoured that. This is all the hinterland. So, so Patti was a,
1: was already important to me. And as he is every, you, you you describe it as a hinterlander, it's it's often the hinterland that I'm I'm most fascinated with. And, oh yes, and thank you for actually reminding me of what the word is because I've always struggled to to, rem- to remember what the word oh, is. <laughs> um, so, hooray! It's called the yeah, hinterland, John. Um, uh, what what do you think drew you to him? You said that that he wrote beautifully. I get that. I I, I sense yeah. that you connected with him because of his style of writing for the cello. Um, what when you read his biography, what drew you closer to him?
2: His the fact that somebody so good at the cello and somebody who wowed audiences so much was actually defined by his musicianship. I think that's if it's kind of come to me later, but but if I had to put it into words, that's what keeps coming across, not just in the biography, but but it does come across. It's an excellent biography. It's by Annalisa Balsano, who lives in Bergamo and and um and it started off as a PhD project and, and now she runs the Piatti Association um over there in Bergamo. But but it that it the, this musicianship, the fact that he was um, wowing audiences and yet on his deathbed it was his quartet playing they were talking about and and the fact that he was the first uh, to the, in the quartet that did the complete Beethoven series um, the, for the first time in this country the way other his contemporaries talked about him and which contemporaries talked about him how. So, so the fact that it was Joachim and Ernst, these, these really important musicians, not, not the emptier virtuosi, if I dare say that, but, but the, the the ones who have stood the test of time in, in public recognition, they were always choosing Piatti to be their, their cellist. So it's, it's, it's when we talk about virtuosi, and if at if the first analysis it can just be flying around the instrument and and, and um as one critic put it in that I, I was i've been reading notices press notices about him when i was researching the, the um booklet notes one critic said a great thing he just said the, the um the, i'm paraphrasing but the thing about piatti is when he plays his fantasies or when he plays his um showy stuff he doesn't aim to dazzle he aims to delight and that comes across in his in his writing, in in the memoirs, in, in everything about him. There's a real substance to him um,
1: that's made him enduring. And uh, sorry, that's a very long answer to no, me. not at so, all. Sure, because I, sure. often, uh, I I often find that actually, when you when you start to unpack that, you you gain a an image of the kind of person such that I then won't need to go and read the biography. <laughs> that, yeah, that, no, no, there, no, no, that's there is a very good reason in asking you. All of this. <laughs> get the impression from the way you talk about him that maybe there was a a sort of a humility about him which is why it was his musicianship that people responded to
2: well you've spotted it yes there was there was a almost to a fault there was a humility so so for example when he did his first he was born in 1822 he so and he went on his first he was pushed around Europe by his dad uh because he'd obviously outgrown Bergamo Although Bergamo was a great place to, to grow up and to and to and to learn to be a musician, and still is, but he but when he first did his first European tour, Vienna was difficult. It always was apparently for musicians then. But Paris is it was the place that virtuosi would try and make their name, and Paris didn't really work because they, by all accounts, you know they loved his playing, but his stage manner. He was so shy. He sloped onto stage and sloped off again. And that wasn't what they were expecting. They wanted um, a bit more theatre. I hope that's not generalising or being unfair to the, but that's that those that's the interpretation I've read about his um, attempt. He then in eighteen again in eighteen forty four he made a or eighteen forty three he made another attempt at Paris and um and it didn't come off. So so to the more Latin audiences maybe they were after something that he couldn't give them, but to the English audience. I say English, I mean because I'm thinking about London, but of course he went all over Britain, and and um, he was he became their darling, and and they didn't mind the fact that he would be last onto stage at the Queen's Hall and and at uh, Exeter Hall and and uh, St James's Hall, sorry, and then first off the stage. So so because I say um, St James's Hall because that's where he the, the the pops concerts were that that he became so. Um, well-known for, and that's where he was playing with Joachim.
1: What surprises me, actually, hearing you telling me about that, is um, this idea of uh, our our present-day preoccupation, even if we don't realise it, with uh, virtuosi musicians um, and and that sense of theatre and and, and grandeur uh, that we sort of associate with... um, that we link to expertise or um, that's not really the right word, but 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 that that's sort of rooted in a in a style uh, and an expectation of audiences in Paris. Is that Yes. I had no idea about that. That's really interesting. Well
2: well don't just take my word for it. I'm 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 not a musicologist, but I've
0: I've I've <laughs> I've read quite <laughs> about
2: yeah, we all have a feel, but it was um, but that you know get other angles on it. But that's how it's it's been related to me, and that's how uh, it this difference between Paris and, and London at that time. He was, we can at least say he felt better suited to to London and audience wise, and and vice versa. He was, uh, and and it worked, it clicked, and he stayed for fifty years. So, so so, and he was um what he was twenty two when he first came here. Wow! He settled. He settled age twenty
1: four, twenty five. Uh, and have you followed? Um, I mean, I'm revealing probably more of myself here in asking this, but have you sort of tracked where he visited, played, and lived in?
2: Yes, because it's there's as you you having asked that question in that way, you can imagine the more the more. You, I, I, you, the, the, the more you look into this subject, the, the more it gives back. So, yes, yeah, yeah I I'm a bit of a piatti nerd and I'll <laughs> make no apologies for it because it's <laughs> because of the, the kind of artist he was. Uh, it, it really, re, he really pays study. And it's, you know, if I'm, I'm playing this, this, this repertoire, so from a musical point of view, if I know where he was, what he was playing, what the operas he was playing, it puts, I think it, does put me in a better place to to go about interpreting and it, it I, I, ideally it, if, if if I can try and get it un, under his skin then I will be doing my job better presenting these operatic fantasies so I so I make no apologies and it, it of course it's good fun on the computer especially these days and the British Library and Oliver nobody knows more about um, 19th century performance practice and artists than Oliver Davis so so he uh, he's he beats the internet on all accounts <laughs> of course the internet is useful when I'm home and, and um but and and it's becoming more and more useful the more is up, uh, information comes to it but yes it, I, I I have tracked I've tracked his um movements his his repertoire his uh press notices and his letters and 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 then you you get inside him and and hopefully
1: hopefully. Understand more and more about the the music he wrote. Um, what have you discovered about him beyond the biography? You know, from your own sort of self study. I. Uh, that's a, that's an incredibly big question, and there isn't very much time.
2: I mean, apart from the biography, so so that would be things that aren't so easy to put into words. One. Aspect is his. Of course, the, the the Holy Grail is how did he play? How did he play this music? There's no phonograph that there, there's. I mean, Joachim, his his great friend, made it onto uh, um, wax at, at some point, so we can we can hear Joachim playing Hungarian dances. But but we never we can never hear Piatti, He died in 1901, and he moved back to Italy in 1898, 99. So so. We but we do have his manuscripts and they're, they're beautifully written. They are when I say beautifully written, it's a it's a lovely hand. It's it's not the clearest always, unless it's like it's like um nice handwriting, but it's not it's not self consciously nice handwriting. So so, but everything is written as if it's for publication, even if it was never published. So. And Oliver pointed that out very early on. He said, look, he's writing for posterity. And that, that's a lovely way of, um, of, of of viewing them. I say that because he, relevant to, to your question, because he then put all the articulations that a cellist might need and fingerings that bring his interpretation to life. So uh, left-hand-wise, if, if, if it goes from first finger to first finger and there's a portamento, then you know that that's how he and he deliberately wrote that in that then then that you can't can't be ignored and that becomes part of your interpretation and you try and make sense of it within the whole and then um right arm wise there's lots of articulation added that if he had if he hadn't been writing for posterity he would have he would have just put the notes down as a reminder and he would have known what he did but he was he was very prescriptive and those there are there's in 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 um one of the um fantasies he wrote a specific marking at, at, at the top in in this is lucia dell'amomo uh a marking i've never seen on any other music it's like it's, it looks like a portato but it's he says this should be um uh, uh legato but almost almost um detached so he's it's it's as if he's imitating the, the the broken line, the portato of a, of a singer. And that's so useful to, to have that inf- information from him. It's not from a biography. It's not from
1: letters. But this, this is musical notation. That also Do you... Um, life. He uh, was obviously a detail-oriented... A detail-oriented uh, individual who yes. doesn't like a detail-oriented individual. Yes. Uh, I wonder, uh, as a result of um, dedicating the time that you have to essentially getting to know him, uh, what aspects of you do you think have rubbed off on you from him? Sorry, what aspects yes. of him do you think have rubbed yes. off on you?
2: Yes, uh, I would... In, in, in a nutshell, bel canto. So he, he was immersed in bel canto repertoire from the age of seven or eight because his dad led the opera orchestra in Bergamo. And young Alfredo started playing. As, in those days, learning the cello was much more like an apprenticeship. So, so you'd play alongside your master in an orchestra and pick up the ropes in that way, as well as your lessons. Where he was put on a table in front of the teacher, so so he was he was learning the ropes, and 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 this is in the, in the opera houses in, in Bergamo, where all the great bel canto stars of the day came to to sing. So, Judita Pasta and and Michael Balfe all the, these these singers would be would be um, singing Donizetti, Bellini, and the seven eight year old Alfredo was drinking all this in, and and um, accompanying it, and that was his. His, um, those were his formative years. So, the, 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 if, if you said what's the one, what's the main thing a cellist has to learn from Piatti, and that you're presented with the caprices and the, and the, all these virtuoso operatic fantasies, I would, I would say it's the cantabile, it's, it's the, it's the tunes in the fantasies, because as you know, operatic fantasies, the, the structure is taking one or two or three of the arias from an opera. And presenting them uh, on on the instrument, uh, in this case the cello, but it could be a horn or a bassoon. All the instruments did it, and then flashing around and doing variations, and then a grand extended finale. But the way Piatti fingered and annotated and articulated the and chose even the the repertoire, the arias that that he sang in these operatic fantasies, that for me is the heart of him as a as a musician, and and what we should be taking. From him now, all these years later. So that's if if there's one thing that's changed me as a cellist, thanks to Piatti, It's I hope it's
1: Cantabile. Um, how do you think that you're both similar?
2: Oh, uh, middle name Charles.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna need a little bit more than that. <laughs>
2: um, oh, I haven't thought he's so different. He's he's he looks so different. Italian. I've got the CD in front of me, so I'm great. just wondering where where
1: you feel as though you. I get how you've learned from him. I wonder yeah. how you feel as though you connect with him.
2: All I can say is that my if I'd be gutted if he appeared on Earth now and wasn't happy with this project, and that's. But I I always think that with composers, our, our, our aim as musicians is always the first and last. Is to please the composer. I hope that doesn't sound old-fashioned or, or wrong-footed, but that that is that's that's or simplistic. But I, I think that that is it. And, and um, and so I I don't know. He was he was as as I've said, he was shy. He some people found him distant, but I, but his friends absolutely loved him, and I hope I'd be amongst. He, and he was never al- al- aloof as such. He was never arrogant. He was very generous. And he, his um, pupils all found him incredibly generous. Um, but he was, he wouldn't say extra words. He was the, he was the least vocal in rehearsals. And it, it's been said. Um, he loved little practical jokes. So I think I'll get on there. He, to put, <laughs> he was on tour with um, Halle, Charles Halle. They did a lot of touring together, and he knew he hated cats. And um, he got one of the boarding houses, they had a cat. So he he put the cat in Halle's bedroom. I love that sort of story. I know it's not very... It doesn't go very far, (laughs) but um, the thought of... So it's the... um, Oh, and he had... Oh, I I know where I'd meet his... uh, um, The similarity is dog. he, He always had a dog. So there, you heard Rudy, our dog, in the background. His his dog, the 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 last dog he had was called Pop after the after the pop concerts, and there's a anecdote, and it went everywhere with him. That was devoted to that. So so um yeah, I could certainly, if nothing else, I would talk to him about dogs as soon as I met. Him.
1: <laughs> you have beautifully, beautifully bookended this interview. It's like you knew uh, that's oh, that's really? remarkable. <laughs> that's that's lovely. Um uh i think i've i've uh, i've covered all the things that i wanted to, to cover I'll do the introductions around around the 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 disc okay. uh, at the beginning when i edit it all together there is just one other thing to tell you you have reminded me partway through this interview about your dad yes um and i had lessons from your dad when um uh when i was 17 18 he completely wow. changed my playing in the space of an hour, uh, and oh, that's a, uh, that's
2: incredible. That, it's
1: quite oh, remarkable. I, I, um, uh, he he won't remember me, um, because I'm oh, sure okay. he did the same thing with everybody. But I do. I remember going to. Uh, I think it was East Acton or somewhere. It's um, Castle
2: well, It was e- 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 Ealing. It'll be- uh, Ealing. It'll be Ealing. That's it. House. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: really, really, really big windows. Really, that's really big right. Windows. I've, I've never j- been j- in a room quite those, so those big. Those houses as that. were
2: much cheaper in those days. Yeah, I mean, or, or cheaper than the modern houses. That—that's. They were told not to get that house because it was far too. The windows were far too big. It was rattly. And it was... So there you go. <laughs> you know, I remember stepping,
1: stepping in there and thinking, bloody hell, this is big, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, and uh, and, and he, he took. I played one piece, and, yeah. and he said, you are holding so much tension in, in your neck and your shoulders. You need to just relax. Uh, and as wow. a result of doing that, in, as I say, in the space for now, my plane changed. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Oh, he'll be so shocked.
2: Uh, he's, he's, I'll tell him I'll tell, as soon as we finish this interview, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a ring.
1: Oh, marvellous! Yeah, marvellous. That. Uh, that. What year was that? Uh, so, uh, that would have been um, that would have no, about nineteen ninety 1990 or nineteen ninety one. Okay, and I came down on a Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not that that's useful. No, uh, no, no, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then he passed me. He passed me on to a, a clarinet teacher in Framlingham. Um, oh yeah and uh he said i know exactly the person that you need to go and see and i can't remember her name but i can remember his anyway (laughs) uh, thank you very much indeed i've really enjoyed our conversation You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. If you enjoy it, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support.